This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. And good Wednesday afternoon. What a beautiful afternoon as our patio tour continues. This afternoon, we are spending our show at Brown Social House. It is on 8th Street, 16th Avenue, southwest, just off of 17th Avenue, where we have discovered some really cool patios. This one, very nice as well, overlooking, I think that's Tompkins Park. I've got to double check on that. But um, great location here at Brown Social House. If you can join us, great. Come by and say hi. In the meantime, though, it's a topic that, well, has been near and dear to my heart. And I know whenever I talk about it, you have strong opinions on this. And it's all to do with smartphones and kids. At what age should a kid have a smartphone? Should we go so far as to ban smartphones for children of a certain age? My guest is Nicholas Bowman. He's Associate Professor of Communication Studies, West Virginia University, and he joins us today. Hello, Nicholas. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing well. This is a great topic because I know my listeners always have pretty strong opinions when it comes to technology and young people. And and I want you to, first of all, just tell me about a movement afoot in the States, in particular, I think it's Colorado, where they're actually pushing to have a ban on the sale of smartphones to anyone under the age of 13. Give me a little bit of background here, Nicholas. Yeah, that's right. So uh, recently, you know, as part of my uh, my Newshound mornings, I, I go through the headlines and think about social issues that we're studying in our lab. And I came across a group called the Parents Against Underage Smartphones. And it was a group in, Cal- in Colorado that was uh, started by a, a, a physician who noticed that when he took his phone away from his kid, that uh, he uh, basically his child was throwing dramatic, violent outbursts from one of his sons. And I, so I guess that this got him talking to his fellow parents and other concerned members of the community. And essentially, the shortest version is that um, they feel these phones are addictive. And they feel that not only are they addic- addictive and wrong for children, but they shouldn't be in the hands of any children. That the short version is that they don't think children have the mental capacities and the, ex- and the expertise to handle you know, this weapon of mass distraction, this device that's really corrupting their mind rather than helping them with anything. So they've been lobbying the California, um, California Senate, or, or Colorado. The Colorado House yep. and Senate to uh, ban the devices completely. And not only would it be banning the sale of smartphones to anyone under the age of 13, but it would also be, um, in, you know, when a parent were to go in and try to set up a smartphone coverage, um, essentially making sure the parent's not setting it up for their family as well. And that's what really got me thinking as a researcher, because it's a very dramatic move to go from should parents let their children use smartphones to we're not going to legally allow parents to let their, their children use smartphones. I would agree. And there's two really strong discussions on those two topics. So let's first of all even start with why they picked the age of 13. Any idea? You know, I can't tell, honestly. Um, and this is sort of where my criticism as a social scientist got started, is that I couldn't find out why that age. Because um, there, there is some research that shows that you know, very young children, infants and toddlers, for example, shouldn't really be around screens that often. Um, their brains are still developing. They're still trying to figure out who they are, what their world is. And, of course, putting them in front of a screen at the age of, for example, two years old can affect language development. 
Um, there's been a lot of research, basically since the '60s, and since you know the you know the, the mass popularization of television that has said, hey, we really shouldn't have children in front of screens that often. So I think two hours is often a limit that was placed. But these are all studies on you know infants and toddlers and elementary school children. Um, I'm not really seeing much evidence for this age of 13. Right on the other end, there's folks who argue that. The prefrontal cortex, that part of your brain that, you know, hopefully you and I use to engage in rational decision making, doesn't really develop till you're about 25 years old. But again, that doesn't really answer why 13. And that's what kind of got me started, that it just seemed, you know, at the risk of, uh, of dismissing their claims, it seemed like an arbitrary decision that 13 represents, I guess, teenage years. So I really couldn't find evidence of why they chose that particular age. Well, and I would completely agree because we've seen the research about the screen time for that younger set, as you said, infants to toddlers. And, and there are guidelines that parents should be looking at uh, to limit that. And, and it sounds like, uh, you know, when I had kids many years ago, that was the same kind of advice we had about screen time being the television. I mean, we, we still have a screen. It's just a little bit different with the iPads and the computers and the laptops. So I, I think... I I can side with the idea of here's the research behind that. I do have issues with any kind of a ban because, and and you know, on a, you're, you're probably going to be agreeing with me just because of the uh, column that you wrote on theconversation.com. But what's your concern when we talk about any kind of a ban, especially a ban like this one? Sure. Well, my largest concern at the top level is that kind of what you just said. These aren't new ideas, and, and we we tend to have these overreactions to. Um, newer technologies that often don't meet their reality, and so um, this isn't this isn't new. You're absolutely right. I mean, if you go back and look at the research and the headlines during television's rise to claim, um, same for radio. By the way, um, in my article, I wrote about crossword puzzles of uh, terrifying people because they were going to lead to illiteracy. Uh, in the 1700s, there were um, you know um, German clergy members who didn't want children reading adventure novels because they would get fantastical ideas and they wouldn't do their chores. And I'm thinking today we love it when a kid's reading a book. We can't yeah. we get so excited when it's an actual analog book, right? It's not an iPad or anything. Um, you actually went further than, keep going, you went to Socrates. Oh, sure, I went all the way back to Socrates, <laughs> and there's a relatively infamous critique of writing and, and his fear, and, and some wonder if, his, if this was even meant to be a bit of a pun, because of course it was written down by his students. But, you know, there was this critique that Socrates levied that once you start writing things down, we're going to get dumber as a society, because we'll no longer engage a lively discussion and debate we'll just go to a book and whatever the book says we'll believe and of course you know that made sense in an age of rhetoric when you know being smart was about winning a conversation and winning a, a debate but of course not all debate skills are necessarily because you're right right i mean you have passion you have logic um and you have emotion and so these are very old critiques of any time I think the status quo of communication gets disrupted. You know, humans have a natural tendency to share things with each other. And in fact, one of the hardest skills for us to learn and one that we spend a lifetime learning is how do I say something to somebody else and they not only understand what I said, but understand what I said and the way I meant it. Hmm. You know, and so all of our advances through the history of communication, writing things down, sending things through electronic wires, um, this phone call that we're having from, you know, a time zone away and a kind of border, all the way up to now dialing a smartphone so my friends in Germany can see me in front of my computer, 
we celebrate them when we look back and we go, wow, those were the greatest moments in human history. When Gutenberg allowed us to print things, it spread knowledge and common language around the, you know, the corners of the globe. But when they happen immediately, we're terrified. You know, the Catholic Church burnt the books that weren't Bibles because they're going to spread ideas that we don't want people to get. And that's where it takes me to when I saw their crusade in Colorado. These are well-meaning parents. These are well-meaning parents who are terrified that their children are misbehaving and they're, they're getting lost in this virtual world. But everything old is new, right? And if we don't look back through our history with this technology, and more importantly, when we cut off the technology, rather than trying to learn how to use it, I think what we do is we don't allow ourselves to develop the sophistication necessary to not only use technology, but to use it in a way, the way that in some ways it was intended, right? We're supposed to be sharing more information, be re reaching contact with more people. You know, cell phones weren't meant to replace human communication face-to-face. -face. They were meant to augment it. So that time you're at the airport and your flight is canceled, you can call your family. Or that time you really need to hear someone's voice and you're alone at the park, you can call your mom. Yeah. Um, but if we don't teach those skills and we only teach fear, that if you go online, bad people will reach you, yes, that can happen. But well, lots of yeah, other things can also happen, and we sort of just put our heads in the sand. It's like building a big privacy wall around your yard. Well, it keeps you very private, and then you forget all of your neighbors at the same time. Hmm. You call it a moral panic. I do, I do. And, it, and it's intentional language. Um, and it's meant to, it's meant to get people to perhaps understand that the debate takes on a moral tone. That it, it almost becomes a, the kids ought to communicate face to face. And because they're not, they're doing something wrong. And that's not a good message to send to a generation that probably has more communication than you and I ever had. They probably read more than you and I ever had. And it almost tells them, well, you're doing it wrong. And then there's the paradox of us telling them you're doing it wrong while we're doing it too, right? While we're the ones on the phone, we're the ones making the phones and buying the phones. And that term moral panic is meant to imply that these fears seem to be more about judging communication as being inappropriate or inadequate. You hear a lot of folks say, these kids are on their phones and now they don't have conversations. And while there are anecdotes to support that, that's not the experience of the world. You know, that's just not how they live their lives. Yes, we see them on their phones, but we also see them at the park and at the mall and at school. And so the term moral panic is meant to maybe remind us that it's not that we shouldn't critique these things. In fact, there's lots of reasons why we should. We should know who they're talking to, and we should know what's on those devices. But the moral panic reaction is that I don't want to know what it is, but I know it's wrong. The easiest possible solution is turn it off. But that's not how the age of information is going to work. It's not how the digital age is going to work. And that's Nicholas? my biggest concern. Yeah. Nicholas, I want to put that crazy smartphone of yours on hold and take a break because afterwards sure. I want to talk about how this approach has failed, not as we talk about Socrates, but also in the past when it comes to things like sex education. We're back with Nicholas after this. 
Some great texts coming in on our topic this half hour. We are talking about whether or not you agree with the idea of banning smartphones for teenagers 13 and under. So anyone under the age of 13, you aren't allowed to have a smartphone. Your parents aren't allowed to uh, put your phone on a family plan. This is the idea that a group of parents from Colorado is proposing. And that's why I wanted to bring on my guest, Nicholas Bowman. He's Associate Professor of Communication Studies, West Virginia University. And, And talking about this moral panic, we have seen this before, whether it be sex, drugs, or rock and roll, and Nicholas, what has the result been in those types of campaigns? Well, I'll tell you in the long term, um, kids do it, we overreact to it, and it normalizes, right? I mean, rock and roll is very popular, we drive cars, um, (laughs) even drug use somewhat normalizes throughout society. I think what we do is we, we don't quite, you know, technology by its very definition is disruptive, right? Anytime you, you know, the definition of technology that we use in our courses is it's any, any tool that automates a human process, that, that, that um, you know, automates or sort of takes agency away from you and I, whether it's the electricity running my home right now to the fires that I'm cooking my meals with, right? These are things that make something easier. Well, that making something easier is very disruptive sometimes. And when it comes to something like a smartphone, we're making things like authentic human communication perhaps easier and even more pervasive than ever before. And that's a terrifying thought when we're not quite ready for it, you know. I think as late as the 1960s, the average person had about two to three close personal friends, and now we have more like four or five. Well, that sounds like a good thing, but it's also a lot to handle. And in reverse, I think the average degrees of separation between any two people were about six people. So if you and I drop six names, we probably share a connection. I think today with the age of social media, it's more like four. So the world is getting smaller, and we are sharing more information, but we also have to learn how to handle that. And so I think we're in that stage of this exponential sort of growth in information, communication, relationships, and we're not quite handling it very well. We're not comfortable with how we're handling it. And so I think there are two ways to go. You either dial it back, shut it down, and revert to the past innovation, but it's, or you adopt it, learn the ins and outs of the new technology, and move forward. And I think history will tell you that more often than not, we adopt it and we learn it and move forward. I mean, you know, again, to go back to the Gutenberg Press, it's largely considered the most important um, invention in modern history, right? Very, but at the time, it was not a very happy, it was not a well-received invention by most people, especially people with any kind of authority, because it changed the way people interact with each other. Well, you know what, and I think the other thing is, we can say that uh, this, the, the moral panic or the way people feel is because technology is changing so quickly. But I think exactly. you could say that, you could say that about anything. Any of those examples you gave us, uh, the society at the time would see this change as just happening too quickly. So I I know I sometimes even default to that, that uh, look where we've come with technology in the last 10 years, but still as a society that we're just not ready for it. And so that's why we have this fear. That's exactly right. I think it very much comes, they often come from good places, you know, and and I see it even in my own life. I mean, I I tell my students that I had a beeper. Uh, I was a journalist before I went went into a research career, and I talk about being beeped at a restaurant to go cover something in town, and they giggle at me. 
You know, they're like, well, how, how would you do it? I said, well, I went and found a payphone, and then I got some quarters, and then I dialed it up. I'm like, well, what's the point of that? <laughs> but at the time, I remember that being a big deal, being able to oh, be yeah. touched while you were at dinner, and that was seen as a huge professional benefit. But even then, people would complain that, you know, oh, we've got to be front of the theater. That's so disruptive. It's so disrespectful. Um, they're, they're fair things, but they... And that's why, we, again, we go back to this idea of morals. I think, and, and the one that I hear the most, and I think the one that I try not to let my own opinions drive my research agenda insofar as I don't want to go out and prove my opinion. I want to understand the lived experience of people and their technology. That's what I research for a living. But what I see and the, the, the assumption that I think drives a lot of the moral panic is this implicit idea that the only kind of communication that's authentic is face-to-face -face communication. And that really gets under my skin because that's just not true. I mean, go tell a World War II widow who, who received their telegram during the, during the war that their husband died, that that telegram wasn't real because it wasn't face-to-face. Yeah. And that's where I go back to the moral panic idea going, we've already dealt with this before. You know, we dealt with telegrams. We dealt with telephones. We dealt with print radio. We, you know, we dealt with all of these different things. And my fear today is, and, and perhaps it's the, the lens of, you know, my own experience right now is it seems like a much graver fervor than maybe it is. I just don't want to see us get to a situation where we start pulling the plug when there really isn't compelling evidence suggesting that today's kid, you know, millennials as we call them, are bad. And the reason they're bad is because of their technologies. That's a very big oversimplification of much larger social issues, many of which are not new at all. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas, thanks so much for starting the conversation. Uh, I'm getting some great texts, and I'm going to open up the phone lines, those crazy telephones that we were so worried about many <laughs> years ago. Uh, but thanks so much for this. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Nicholas Bowman, Associate Professor of Communication Studies, West Virginia University. Now I want to turn things over to you, 403-974-8255. And funny, as we talk about kids and technology, it's amazing how many texts we get. And ever since we started doing texts, we have seen a considerable drop-off of phone calls. And, and you know, it, obviously it's a talk radio station I'd love to talk to, but I also see even our listeners are saying, wow, this is a form of communication. I can still talk to Anne and I'm just going to text her. Text, call, whatever you like, but I want to hear from you. 403-974-8255. The conversation continues after the news. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott. Weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.